Welcome to the Finding Refuge podcast. My name is Michelle Cassandra Johnson, and I am so glad you're here. This podcast emerged from work based in the exploration of collective grief and liberation. It exists to remind us about all the ways we can find refuge during unsettling and uncertain times. Today's interview is with Octavia Rahim. I met Octavia at the Asheville Yoga Festival a few years ago and was deeply impacted by her work in the world, her teaching, her heart, and I hope that you enjoyed this episode. Let me tell you a little bit about Octavia. Octavia Rahim is a mother, author of Gather, activist, and an experienced yoga teacher and practitioner. She began practicing yoga in 1999 and has been teaching since 2007. Octavia founded Star, Shine, and Clay, an online and retreat space for Black, Indigenous, and women of color to rest and restore. Octavia has received national attention for her work, training yoga teachers and diversifying the yoga and wellness industry. Her work has been featured in Yoga Journal, Mantra, Well and Good, CNN, WXIA, and Atlanta Magazine. Born and raised in Gainesville, Georgia, her spirituality encompasses the universe and is very much anchored in the heart and soul of the sacred community she was raised in, Greater Timber Ridge Baptist Church. Octavia has a distinctive voice, one that is wise, otherworldly, and also familiar. Her teaching is grounded in her roots and real-life experience as a woman learning to love herself as well as center her well-being and transformation via yoga, rest, meditation, and yoga nidra. And Octavia has a new book out called Pause, Rest, Be, Stillness Practices for Courage in Times of Change. You can find it anywhere books are sold, and it's an amazing work of art and resource that's really calling us into rest. Enjoy the interview. Octavia, it's so good to see you. And to be in this space with you, thank you so much for being a guest on the Finding Refuge podcast and for being my friend and in my life and my comrade and for offering the gifts you offer in this spinning world and the gifts you offer around rest and the need for rest. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Mm -hmm. That word, spinning world. Like, that's the perfect, it's just spinning. <laughs> it is. When is it going to stop? It's just spinning. Yeah. Yep. I know. Um, and I want, obviously, want us to talk about your book, which is coming out February, is it February 1st or 2nd? It is February 1st. That's what I thought. Um, <laughs> I knew it was, it's, it's like happening soon. And I want to talk about Pause, Rest, Be. But first, I'd love for you to share some about who you are, how you're coming into this space at this moment in time, what it is you you do in this in this world. I'd love to hear about that. Yeah, so I am <laughs> the thought that popped into my head is I am something beyond words. 
<laughs> you know, only because there's this question that I encountered maybe a decade ago. Who were you before the world told you who you were supposed to be? That's a Danielle Laporte truth bomb question. And I recently returned to this, like, like, no, really, who really am I? Like, what defines me? What has defined me? What undefines me? And I'm Octavia, <laughs> a Black woman born and raised in the South USA. Um, I'm a mother. I'm a partner. I'm a writer. I am a devotee of rest after a lifetime of really just grinding myself to, to the bone and marrow. And for what? Um, I'm going to just say that's who I am. <laughs> that's, that's what I am. Um, I, I create things. Um, I hold space. I gather community. I gather women, more specifically, I gather black and brown women to rest. And part of that is we have some really specific burdens to lay down within our rest that we need really sacred and protected space for. So I do, I do that. Mm-hmm. I have so many questions and <laughs> I mean like about everything right and one is about um words and you said you know like beyond words and I think right we are beyond our body and our bodies and words and those kind of things and I'm mm. I know you love words and writing and so yeah I'd love to hear a little bit about how you how words came to you I guess and your journey with writing and words yeah, you know, when you uh, said that, I thought this might be a scripture. I think in the beginning there was the word. <laughs> and just like the idea of um, a formlessness, things being formless, us being form- formless, and then we become through the vibration of a word. Anyhow, as far as I could remember, I loved words. And my mother read to me, my older sister read to me, like I was definitely read to. And then I also have this memory of um, when I started learning to read, being recorded reading. I think those tapes, cassette tapes, you remember those might still exist somewhere. But as soon as I, you know, the first time I realized like, that's a book, those are words, a person wrote those words and it's a story they're telling. And the story can do this or take me this place or have me experience this. Like I fell in love with words um, then. And I also grew up in a world where children were seen, not always heard. And the interesting thing about that, cause I think a lot about it now, cause it's so easy to critique, you know, who we are and where we come from and what our parents did and did not do without having compassion for their own struggles. Yet, yeah, and still this being, seen and not heard what it did for me in this one way is I spent a lot of time just listening to adult conversation and particularly Black women, adults, Black Southern women's conversation and the way folks would weave stories together. <laughs> you know, basically it's like I was, my un, my being unseen made me a listener and I just like would like sit in corners and listen to adults and collect their words and their stories in a really particular way they use language. Um, another way that words really found me and um, I'd say massage their way deep into my heart 
was through church, <laughs> right? Through listening to sermons, listening to songs, listening to people stand up and, and testify. And so I would say my life as a little Southern born black girl was um, really like this quilt of words, this fabric of words was just around me and a blanket for me. And I early on identified storytelling, reading and writing with creativity and freedom. And then the other thing I learned really early on when I learned my history or our history in this country and how it was illegal, you know, for Black folks and women to read and write. I don't know how, I didn't necessarily learn that at school. Like my family was really adamant about teaching, teaching me history. <clears throat> and I was really little. I had to be like six or seven, which is like a young age to be learning those things. But it immediately impressed upon me the power of the word. I said, if someone is going to make it illegal for me to do this, you know, or people were brutalized, you know, like lost lives, like it was a big deal for us to learn to read and write. And so early on, I understood it as a tool for empowerment and also a tool for freedom, right? So, and also, you know, like, I'm sure in the, I did this with my son, like I read to him when he was in my belly, you know, I played music to him. And so as soon as I know people make books, I'm a person, I'm people. Hopefully I can do that when I grow up too, right? So the love of the word was really seated within me, probably before I had a body. And then it was just nourished and fed through my living and upbringing, but I would say it feels specific to the South. I don't know that if I grew up someplace else <laughs> that the language would come through me as it does, or if I would have the same love for it. So mm -hmm. that's my, that's my love of the word in the beginning, right? There was the word. Yeah. I love what you shared about um, a word or sound and that bringing us, you didn't say it this way, but before you were this incarnation of who you were, right? Mm -hmm. And then someone uttered a word, right? And that brought you into being. That's how I heard what you said at the beginning yeah, of yeah, sharing yeah. And, or a vibration, use that word. Yeah, It's such a beautiful image to remember and think about how we actually come into being and then to think mm -hmm. about our path and what we end up doing, right? I know. Yeah, I love that. I love it. So Pause Recipe is your second book. And so is. Gather is your first book. It's on my bookshelf right over there. <laughs> and I wonder if you could, because to me, Gather and Pause Recipe seem connected to each other. And, mm. and I wonder if you could share some about Gather and then how Pause Recipe came into being. Mm. Yeah. So you're, um, you've read them both. So you can, you can like feel that connection and gather was really um, the way I've thought about it now, because I've been reflecting a little bit is it was this reclamation of my voice and that little girl who loved 
words and writing more than anything, right? Because of course, so this is seated in me, like love of language, love of words that never goes away, but the courage to pursue it and to um, claim it and to honor that actual gift just drifted away as I like, you know, live this life that's like, you better make sure you do whatever you can to create access to resources, right? And you're not going to do that being a writer or whatever, right? And so I just, it never left me. I left it, right? And so through my practices of rest and quiet and yoga nidra and restorative yoga in particular and meditation, I start having these experiences where I remember like my, my first and true and deep love, which is writing. And after those practices, I would journal, and ultimately gather literally is, you know, the fruit of resting, journaling. Okay, now let's look at this and refine the writing. That's how I wrote gather. And it's called gather because it really was this pulling together, bringing together these kind of scattered pieces of writing that I had from all these journals and making it into, into one thing. And then gather is divided into these three sections, right? Gather ancestors, because I feel like it's so important to start and to um, open whatever it is I do with this acknowledgement that I am because they are. And then it moves into gather courage. And then we move into gather rest, right? And everything's kind of organized around those three things, ancestors, courage, and and rest. And then it's so interesting because I kind of, until I was just talking about it, didn't fully remember that a section in my whole other book was about gather courage because here we are at Paul's Rest B, still mispractices for courage during times of change. And I wrote gather in 2019 and it came out in 2020, June, 2020, June 1st, 2020, mm. right? Like such a, it's like, who, who knew, right? I didn't know when like that was my release date that all the things that would be being released onto the planet and the world and our collective experiences at that moment when that first book came out. But so Gather was really just this reclamation of my voice. And I'm very <laughs> honored that it touches other people in this one way. But I don't know, Michelle, if you've ever had things in your life that you're like, no matter who sees this or who doesn't, who accepts this or doesn't, I have to do this. Yes. I have to create this. I have to make this thing. And um, and it's beautiful when it it finds a resonance beyond you, but it it wasn't for that. And <laughs> from Gather, I knew I was like, oh, I'm just gonna write. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna own it. I'm gonna name, I'm gonna claim the title of writer. Cause I do think so many like creative people are. You know, we can take on job titles, but then when it comes to something else, we're like, oh, no, I don't, I'm not really, no, I don't really do that. It's not for real. <laughs> like, right. oh, we wait for someone else to give us the title. Take that for yourself. Claim it for yourself, right? Um, and so Paul's Recipe, I actually started writing in June, July, 2020, <laughs> right? And this time, though, I was, I was like, I'm writing a book, and I knew I was writing a book for us, for the collective, for the moment that we were living through. And I had felt even in, you know, the summer of 2020, that it wasn't a blip on a radar. 
I felt like 2020 was more of a preview of how this decade might be trying to go down, right? And so I said, if the next few years are like 2020, what do I need to remember? What do I need to read? What do we need to remember? What do we need to read and hear and and know and be be, um, reminded of and also be in dialogue around? And for me, that was endings, beginnings, and what to do when you're in that, I call it this really murky liminal space where there's not an ending, there's not a beginning, you can't go back to what was, you don't quite know what's next. And so through the summer of 2020 into the fall of 2020, this is what I'm writing about, but it's also what I'm living through. It's also what you're living through. It's also what in 2022, when we're recording this, what people are still experiencing, you know, profound endings that are sudden. Some of them maybe on purpose are planned, but many of it just like, boom, rug pulled from under you. Now what are you going to do? And then being pushed into what comes after endings, which is, I don't know, (laughs) this place of uncertainty that I also say is a place of possibility because where there are many unknowns or things aren't for certain, then we can also inject possibility. We don't know, so we can create. And then after that, beginnings. Um, so I don't see the two books, Gather and Pause RSB, as a continuum of each other. They definitely inform one another. And I say just personally writing Pause RSB, if Gather was a reclamation, Pause RSB is a rising, right? Is this where I'm not, I'm not reclaiming my voice. I'm in it and it is rising and it, it only reverberates deeper and higher from here. That's the connection between those two. I love hearing your story about the connection between the two and how you came together and your own process of claiming your work, part of it as a writer, right? Like claiming that Mm. identity, um, which is certainly something I have (laughs) struggled with for a long time. Like I'm not a writer. I know we've talked about this, but you know, Michelle, resting has been critical to the reclamation of the deepest parts of my identity because rest doesn't ask me to perform it. Rest, I don't, like in rest, I'm not doing, and then I get to experience and be what I actually am. I don't know if that makes any sense, but it's like, I had to step outside because I am like recovering super type A, doer of the most, you know, queen of I will do all things, you know, through my mom and them who strengthens me, right? Like meaning like just constantly, And as long as I was in the cycle of hyper doing, I was in the cycle of identifying with the things I did in that way, right? If that makes sense. And and that's how writer and lover of the work got buried underneath all the other stuff I was doing. And in rest, and I also feel really strongly in communal rest, right? It's like why I gather with women to rest there is this like layer of remembrance that comes forward. And there you will, you know, so many things that get smothered out or covered up within the lives we live and the pains we feel and the oppressions we experience, they have room to come forward. And so I don't know what took me down that train, but I did want to like name that for me, this kind of reclamation of like this other layer of my identity and then rising into it, rest has been the greatest catalyst for that remembrance. Yeah, that resonates so deeply. And 
it makes me think of what is available when we make space to rest, like what we can remember um, or, or come back to, right. Like come home to, yes. or what's revealed to us. Mm. Um, it's, it's a really powerful practice and I think way of living. And it's, it's really interesting because I think we're in a time where so many people are obviously not resting and some folks feel like I have to do something about the things that are happening on this planet with great urgency yeah. and they're yeah. clearly are urgent concerns and it's, yeah. you know, the times we're living in. And I love what you offer through pause, rest, and just in your being, because you're saying slow down, right? Like you're saying, Oh yeah. Yeah. Take a moment. I'm saying, let us, engage with ourselves and each other in a way that is actually sustainable Mm -hmm. like slowing down even if you think about slow food that's a movement towards sustainability um and so so much of the i'm very aware of like the sense of urgency and a thing i play with a lot in my life is how can i feel the energy of urgency and then move forward with a deep, steady presence and not match the frenetic energy of, it's so urgent, it's so urgent. Like, it's urgent, y'all. People with people are dying. People don't have access to healthcare, what's going on in like public schools and beyond. Like, all of those things are urgent. And if we meet that urgency with just pure phoneticness and like this whole other thing, like we beget more of that energy and And for me, slowing down is also about being able to have space and time to actually see what's there Mm -hmm. and to actually hear what's there and to formulate a um, response, a heartful response from that place, right? Yeah, I think about this a lot with rest. I was talking to our friend, Tracy Stanley, (laughs) about it. I was like, you know, so I I was like, I get it. It sounds like really wild. We're out here talking about rest and people are like, but if I don't work, I can't eat, right? Right? Like this. And the other thing for me, when I, the reason why I use the language of pause is I'm like, first, we learn to pause. First, we forge a relationship with pausing. Cause that like, there is no rest if I have no relationship with the pause, right? Like, and the pause is available to most of us just like that. We can stop talking right now. We can notice the space between the inhalation. When, you know, we stop listening to this podcast, we can just not put another one on, you know, like, and so first it's like, for me, it's, How do we forge a relationship with the pause? Again, cause pause is the place where there's so much possibility and there nothing's happened yet. (laughs) And we also have an opportunity to reflect on what was. And I I think the most urgent crises, uh, you know, facing us right now demand the pause, demand that we go, like, actually, how the hell did we get here? And what's actually possible from here versus like keep rehashing the same kind of stale solutions, you know, um, cost the pause space, the rest space, all of that is an incredible ripe place, right? It's an incredible ripe place. Like I, um, when I owned a yoga studio, our teacher training was called 
look, you go to try to remember something, I can't remember. <laughs> but the teacher training was essentially be still, then make moves. That was what it was. Um, and so really, I think it's like, a, it, I say rest, but what I'm talking about is relationship to <laughs> slowing down, <laughs> to reflection, to accessing more of your own self, actually, like your imagination, your creativity. And then what happens if we move from that place? Um, and then you say, you said something, you said so many people aren't resting. And I was like, yep, <laughs> you know, like people aren't sleeping. Yeah. And I would say people aren't sleeping because rest and sleep are slightly different. They're different, right? People aren't sleeping. And I think part of that is because we aren't resting. And again, when I talk about rest, I'm talking about the pause and forging a relationship to it. I'm also not just talking about um, the practices I teach, restorative yoga and yoga nidra, which are incredible rest practices, but I'm talking about just, what if I just sit in this chair for a minute and claim that minute for myself? and just sit here. <laughs> you know, what if I had a job years ago that was like wearing away at my soul, <laughs> if a job can do that. And I will tell you, I would sit in the parking lot every morning for a few minutes and just sit there and do nothing. Cause that was the only way I knew to like reclaim a piece of my humanity. Cause I felt like I was just like working toward degradation, right? Like, what am I? I'm just like this work machine, right? And so that's what I mean, too. Like, just, I can teach you a 90-minute, you know, yoga nidra restorative practice, but I'm also, and especially in pause or SB, speaking to the simplest pause we can think of first, the simplest rest. And what I mean by rest is just sit in a chair, <laughs> you know, instead of like eating really fast, be a little bit slower. Let there be a gap between what you say next. And sometimes I'm talking about taking a nap or sometimes I'm talking about like yesterday I went and took a walk through the woods and normally I like listen to a podcast and I thought I need to, to rest my senses like I'm taking in a lot of information and I said I'm going to rest my ears so I just walked so that's relatively active but what I'm resting is my ears I'm not listening to anything I'm just listening to the crows I'm listening to the brush beneath my feet I'm listening to the wind like that's rest can be like that too and so it's just let us forge a relationship to pausing, resting, and being ultimately being human, right? Like being, we're not, we're not machines. We're not um, technologies. We're human beings. And so, yeah, you know, I have so many thoughts about this. Well, I <laughs> mean, <am> I, clearly <laughs> got books. I know, about I, I know. And I just think that, um, and it's all about, so this language of refuge, which is this beautiful word that I love that's in your title for your previous book. And where is refuge, you know? And for me, rest, these moments that I take 
that I claim for myself that I give to no one else because I belong to me, damn it, right? Like, you know, like, it's also for me, like, rest. I'm like, this is a liberation practice. Like, you're not going to tell me that I cannot tend to myself in this most basic way. I'm not letting anyone convince me otherwise that I can't do it anymore, right? I spent a lot of to burn myself out. I spent so much time not caring for myself in this way. But rest is, can be a place of refuge and we, we need that. You know, it's like, we need it terribly. You know, like shelter from like, the, it's like out here being badgered, you know, left, right. I see this image of like a torn flag, just like flapping. And it's like, we need that flag to come off that flagpole <laughs> to just lay out on the porch. Like you just refuge from that, that storm, you know, this storm. Thank you for sharing about more about the pause, right? And and rest as a practice and how that allows us to come into being and into our humanity. I mean, that's really, yep. right? And then we can shift how we are as we show up in the world for each other and ourselves. Um, and the pause and what you described about it um, really made me think of something I do in facilitation all the time. Like when something's up and I feel it in my body, um, what I always say is, you know, dominant culture has taught me to speed up. And in those moments, yeah. I've learned to just slow down and say, what's going on? Or let's take a breath or take a moment mm-hmm. to journal. Because I, I learned from witnessing someone else that, you know, people can't process content when their nervous system is trying to manage whatever is up in the space. Right. And it feels so related to what you're talking about collectively. Right. We can't. Mm respond we can't process we can't digest we can't what's coming at us unless we actually take a moment to pause right and then Mm. rest will come from that and then we can be and be in a different way so it really Mm. just made me think and how much I've told people who are holding space like if you feel something in your body and something's going on then take a moment that's right Um, it's alive Mm. in the space for others and invite people into that and it's such a powerful I've found it to be such a powerful practice and it can just mm. shift the entire energy of the, the room, right? The circle, the ceremony, the group. And mm. I love that call that you're, I mean, you're calling us into pausing, which, you know, I think it, in my own experience and relationship with folks, it can be hard to take time to do that. And I appreciate what you said about the pause and rest, like it could be a minute sitting in your car or this morning I didn't make time. I will say to meditate. I got like caught up on my computer, but then there's a candle mm. that is lit on my altar. Yeah. Oh. And I was like, I'm going to light this candle. <laughs> it's going right. to, I'm going to sit right. here with the candle for a minute <laughs> and it's going to be going all day. And it's, I can smell, it smells like roses. Like I can smell it. And it's really, it's like a reminder of, okay, you know, I took that moment, even though it wasn't a 20 minute meditation, right? So sometimes people get, I think, become overwhelmed with the idea that it has to look a certain way. And yeah, I mean, even the practices you offer, right? There's a practice that's like at least five minutes, right? It's not an hour lay here, right? Like it's not that it's like start here, which I really appreciate um, because I think it's more accessible for folks, especially if you're trying to bring people into this space of, of pausing and resting and being. Yeah. And I don't take for granted that um, I actually think, you know, if you told someone go 
do all these things like this whole list that might actually be easier for many people than okay just sit sit here for three minutes you know so much is going to come up not like you might suddenly start itching uh just as you know i'm going to use like another physical reference but if someone's like lifting weights just like you have to build the capacity to lift more weight you we actually have to build the capacity for our nervous systems to be able to tolerate more stillness and so i don't I don't say just do X, you know, like, like it's easy. Um, I think intellectually it is like we get it and we read the things we know why it's good. We might even long it like our physical bodies might crave a rest on this one level. And then we go to try to pause or be still or to rest. And we're like, it gets scary. You know, the nervous system goes, what are you doing? What's happening here? Um, we go on higher alert, you know, it's part of, um, after years I learned, this is how I learned the importance of black and brown women resting together, you know, cause I'd have women in, you know, in these like whole everybody groups, just lying with their eyes open. And I finally, you know, asked someone like what's happening. She's like, I, I'm not safe. I don't feel like, you know, like I can't create safety for anyone. And she's like, I can't close my eyes in this group in this room, right? And so I don't say like, oh, it's just easy, just go lay down or just, you know, because even alone, we might be challenged by that for a myriad of reasons. And it's why I literally like in Paul's recipe, I do teach three restorative practices, but restorative yoga is also powerful to me because it's this practice of get all the supports, let something else hold you. Um, and I found that when I'm really, if I'm kind of energetically spazzing out, so to speak, restorative yoga is more helpful for me than some of the other quiet still yogas because of the support, the physical support provided. Like if I need to feel my body touching something else. But also in, in the book, I have like just other short practices, like take a, take a breath, yeah. <laughs> you know, because um, I'm like, there are so many ways to pause, rest, be. I, do I have an inclination? Am I going to ride hard for restorative yoga and yoga nidra? Because they've transformed my life. Yes. And I started with a minute, three minutes, five minutes. So, you know, then I would. 20 minute meditation practice daily, you know, and ultimately <clears throat> what I'm also talking about is being mindful of like what actually restores, meaning puts back in <laughs> or fills back up, right? Because again, in this, to go back to this word we used earlier, urgent, if we out here in the vessel that we be is empty, and we're like running around like, cause it's urgent, it's urgent, but you're empty. What, what are you, where are you getting what you're giving from? And what's the quality of it? And if you fall out in the middle of these streets, then what? And I don't say that lightly. I'm like, I have, I have fallen out in those streets and I've been hospitalized from fatigue, dehydration, overwork, all of that. Like, I'm like, I'm speaking as one who is a reforming doer of the most, most, most. So we start with one minute of pausing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then we build some capacity for more of that. Because it's also learning to be like, kind of be in that uncomfortable space. Which, you know, when you talk about in your book, like 
people won't turn toward what they actually feel. But then essentially it starts to spill out in all these other ways that are incredibly harmful for the person and everyone they encounter. And when we can, and I would connect that to feeling, right? So if we want to avoid feeling, just do, just keep speeding up and doing more stuff and taking, you you won't have time to feel, you'll be so exhausted. There's nothing to feel but exhaustion, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know? And so I think the, the pause is also directly linked to turning toward these deeper human experiences and feelings that we might have. And if you want to avoid that, just keep doing a lot of stuff, you know, right. <laughs> like stay, stay busy, you know, and I'm not saying that that's all that busy is. I'm just saying that it's one, one way avoidance of your own like grief or feelings or whatever it is it shows up in having a disembodied relationship with the pause or disproportionate relationship between doing and not doing. Yeah. Yeah. What you you just named about if we want to avoid how we're feeling, right. Or ourselves, we can just keep moving. We can keep being Mm -hmm. busy. We can keep being caught up. We can continue to be distracted. It reminds me of um, when we were both at Asheville Yoga Festival and I came to your offering about rest and you talked about, you said something about ancestors and resting for our ancestors. Um, And I remember I was so struck by that because no one had ever said anything like that to me. I think I knew it somewhere, but no one had ever said it out loud, right? Mm. That this is actually a, a gift that you can offer to your ancestors now by taking time to rest so there's the like avoidance we might do but then there's the real gift that we might offer to our lineage right moving back and forward our legacy through resting and I wonder if you could share a little bit about about that because it it really resonated so deeply oh yeah you know I um I think I saw this I feel like I've mentioned Tracy once before but once she asked this question about legacy, you know, a lot of times we think about our legacy and we think about work, you know, like part of my legacy is this book I wrote or part of my legacy is, you know, like the work I do in the world, like on your obituary, what they're going to talk about, you know, what they're going to say, what are they going to say you did? And she asked this question, well, what if your legacy were to be rooted in rest? And I and it seemed so simple at the time. This was years ago, maybe two or three years ago. And I haven't stopped thinking about it. I'm like, what? Because at first I was like, what does that even mean? <laughs> you know? And um, and then I ultimately came to that's being rooted in beingness and ultimately just humanity. But and I say that to say that for many of us, um, you know, like in my history in this country, in my blood, there are those who were enslaved, whose bodies didn't belong to them, whose labor didn't belong to them, who whatever they produced from it, even if it was another human being, didn't belong to them. And so what I was experiencing, you know, this was maybe 10 or 12 years ago when I first started restorative yoga and yoga nidra, I'd have this 
experience of like such release, such rest, and but also this experience of like a presence <laughs> and not like a spooky dookie, like what is that, <laughs> you know, but just like a, a presence. And so my name's Octavia and my great, great paternal grandmother is Octavia Jenkins. And I had this practice where you could not tell me that she, when I got up and was like, oh, I feel refreshed, that I felt like she was like, I feel refreshed too, you know? And I, you know, that sounds really deep and maybe poetic, but a thing that I really work to embody and arrest to embody rather is that my body is the ancestral shrine and altar. And that what I do to my body and with my body and for my body, I am doing for my ancestors, you know, and for what they weren't able to do and for what they were. Because a thing that I recently kind of had a memory of, I was like, if I am this rest teacher, it's somewhere back there. <laughs> you know, it might it might be far. But I don't know how far. I don't know. But just like I am this writer and, you know, like I've learned of so many ancestors who, you know, like I have an aunt who was like, well, we found this trunk, the trunk of daddies. It was full of poems and songs, you know? And, and so that's just to say, uh, just as I acknowledge and honor that I have ancestors who, who couldn't, the consequence for rest would have been their life. So I rest in honor of them. But I'm also clear that if, if I have this vision or it came forward into my life, this way of being and resting with people in the world has to be back there somewhere too. Um, and so I really do invite people and I think it can be incredibly healing in like a shocking way sometimes to who, who are you resting with? Who are you resting in honor of? And that also sometimes shifts the odd guilt that people feel about resting. Well, you're like, I'm, I'm resting for granting them. You know, I'm resting with it. Like we're, we're resting together. But for me, that, that kind of guidance came out of a, like a direct experience of being like, oh, I can feel like I feel this presence and it feels settled. It feels well in my soul, you know, and, but also it's just what we do to and for our bodies. We do to and for our ancestors, as far as I can see and know and sense, right? And, and for me, the spirits that walk on me, they're like, we need some, we need some rest. <laughs> we, need, we need you to lay down. Because also, we're working on your behalf. The unseen and seen are in partnership. So when I rest, they get to, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, so that's some of it. And I remember that, that room. I remember where you were. <laughs> and I do remember um, at first, you know, because the way I teach rest is I kind of really start with what like the physical, we need to tend to this physical body. Do you have a blanket? Are you physically comfortable? Because some of the stillness might actually start to get uncomfortable. So let's take care of your body. Then we go to like, then what do we need to give the mind? <laughs> you know, then we go to, okay, mind and breath. It's hard to really work with the mind. I think it's actually easier to tune into breath and then start to see how that impacts mind. And then we start moving deeper. And I remember by the time we had moved through those layers or rested through those layers, it just easily came forward. Like, here's who, who are you resting with? Some of y'all in here is like 10 people. Because I could feel it too. And the room just expanded. Like if there were a hundred people in the room, 
I literally felt like there were 10,000, but it wasn't a heaviness. It was just like lightness. It feels like I went on a little tangent. No, you didn't. You know, but, you spoke to it. but that's the, um, it's like the, it's the beautiful thing of sharing like restful place with people. And, you know, cause when we rest something deeper rest within us, and then we also rise up ready. Okay. Now that thing's urgent. Now I'm, I'm really ready, right? Like I'm really ready now. I'm not out here dra- half dragging half myself around. I'm actually ready to meet that. I love that. I would love for you to share some about um, pause recipe in the sense of everyone should buy it. First of all, I'm just going to say that <laughs> there's that buy multiple copies, please practice support Octavia. And I know you have different things planned. Um, so is there anything you want to share about um, what's planned and how people can, can plug into the practice, like in community with others? Oh yeah. So I have a book club. I have actually 13 of them. (laughs) So I have like book club leaders. And if you are on my newsletter, if you follow me, then you'll kind of see me tag those people. And we won't just, they won't be just taking you through the book. They'll be supporting you and experiencing. It's really experiential, like engage the practices in the book. Um, But also in that book club, I'm leading the last section of it for everyone. And so I'll be leading a resting practice on like February 26th. But folks can go to follow me at Octavia Rahim. Do definitely join my newsletter and they'll be getting information about when I'm resting and reading to folks. Well, thank you so much for your medicine and wisdom and for sharing space with me today and sharing yourself with us and your your practices and just the all of the medicine. Um, I appreciate you so much and thank you for this offering. Thank you so much, Michelle. I hope you enjoyed the episode. So, as you all may know, I have a new book out, Finding Refuge, Heart Work for Healing Collective Grief, published by Shambhala Publications. It was published on July 13th, 2021 and can be found anywhere where books are sold. Along with the book, you can join me for some offerings focused on finding refuge and focused on collective grief, ritual, and processing trauma, allowing it to move through so that we can get free. We'll explore the connection between grief and liberation. You can support the podcast Finding Refuge by telling your friends about it and rating it on iTunes. You can support my work in the world by becoming a patron on Patreon. You can find me there as Michelle C. Johnson, Skill in Action. I offer monthly Dharma talks, rituals, meditations, or movement practices. I hope you join me there. Take care. Be well, friends. Mm-hmm.